Welcome to America's Commercial Real Estate Show, your source for intel, forecasts, and strategies. Hello, I am Michael Bull, and I'm so glad you are with us. This segment is brought to you by Abto.com. Check them out if you're in the commercial real estate brokerage business. You'll be glad you did. Now, today we're going to talk about the hotel industry. You know, it's kind of an interesting industry because you have nightly leases, right? A lot of things we talk about in the commercial real estate show have long leases and things can take longer to move, but the hotel industry can move a little faster. We have a great guest for you. Please welcome uh, Michael Belisario. He is senior research analyst and he's VP with Baird and he's joining us on the phone today. Uh, Mike, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Michael. So let's talk about the, the, the hotel industry as a whole you know the uh seems like we've been in a great cycle for a while where are we in the cycle for the hotel industry yeah that's a great question and that, that's the one everyone wants an answer to uh it, it certainly feels like we are later cycle uh, definitely experiencing later cycle dynamics supply growth has picked up rev par growth uh which is the key metric for the industry revenue per, per available room has slowed we're in this low single-digit uh, growth environment, uh, but certainly things that I would describe them as good, not great across the board. And you know, if you think about where we're at in the cycle, things bottomed in, in 10 and they, they turn from negative to positive, and we're, we're in year nine now of this up cycle, and we haven't had cycles this long before, which, which makes people a little bit nervous. Mm-hmm. Uh, but certainly the election uh, changed sentiment uh, in late 16, uh, tax reform in the the late summer of last year certainly uh, added to that positive sentiment. I think people are upbeat, cautiously optimistic is is a good way to describe it. But overall, fundamentals uh, on a high level view, good but not great because it's not 2012, 2013, 2014 when things are growing five, six, seven, eight percent. We're in this one, two, three percent top line growth environment. Okay, and what is growing and what's not growing? How about business travel is uh, maybe the sentiment there because businesses seem to be excited, small business seems to be excited, or is it uh, vacation uh, growth? What, what do you see? Yeah, it's, it's the leisure traveler that mm-hmm. continues to be strong. They were strong throughout the downturn mm-hmm. and continue to travel. If you think about where employment levels are at, everyone has a job. People are going on vacation. People are spending money. Uh, travel is becoming a, a more important part of uh, individuals' and families' budgets and plans. Uh, so it's, it's really the leisure traveler that has remained strongest this cycle. Uh, you would think with uh, the stock market you know, at, at or near all-time highs, continuing to make new all-time highs, corporate profitability reaching new highs, that the business traveler would actually be stronger. That's not the case. We describe the business traveler as a little squishy. <laughs> Demand is there, um, but everyone's very price sensitive. Everyone is watching their bottom line, their travel and entertainment expenses. People are traveling, but they're going for one or two days instead of two or three days uh, to a conference, for example. Uh, everyone's being asked to do more with less, so every day you're out of the office. Uh, the, the work just piles up. So pe- people are being more thoughtful about travel on the business side, it's not only a, uh, an individual decision, but it's coming down from the sea level where that's a line item in a slow growth environment that you could manage and, and, and travel and entertainment gets cut back a little bit. So it, it, it's solid, but it's squishy because it, it hasn't really picked up or reaccelerated like a lot of people would have thought. 
And I think that comes back to hotel rooms are expensive. If you're traveling for business, you're mostly going to New York, Boston, San Francisco, Chicago, all the urban gateway markets. And hotel rooms every night are two, three, four, five hundred dollars or more a night, and that adds up quickly. So um, it, it's really the leisure traveler that continues to remain strong. The business transient uh, traveler is there, but but price sensitive. And then the other piece of the pie is group business. Think conferences, conventions, uh, association business remain solid, not necessarily accelerating or decelerating. A lot of that business is on the books farther out. So events that are happening this year may have gotten booked two or three years ago. But what we're seeing is a lot more shorter term group business because companies are cognizant of their quarterly results. And if they're not going to hit their numbers or or they're not ahead of budget, they're going to delay that March group until maybe April or later in the year when they have more clarity with, with their budgets. And then we're also seeing groups look further out too. So the booking window is actually shrinking, but also expanding at the same time because everyone's traveling, occupancies are at all-time highs, there's no space to put these people, so you have to look further out. So uh, interesting dynamic going on on the group side, but if I had to stack rank them, leisure traveler, definitely the strongest, then group is kind of the steady eddy, and then the business traveler is, is the, the squishy one that I described. Okay. I love squishy. That's the first force, Michael. I like that one. <laughs> you, you, you can keep using that one if you'd like. Thank you very much. So how is all of that impacting the various hotel types? Really, you know, is full service working differently than limited or resorts? What do you see there? Yeah, re- resorts are definitely the strongest. And some of that is just year-to-day performance. If you look at the numbers, um, it's skewed a little bit because of the it's skewed positively because of the hurricanes and the hotels that are closed in the Caribbean. If you think about people wanting to go on vacations in January or spring break trips in, in March, the Caribbean, not a lot of hotels open there after the hurricane. So the alternative is Florida or Southern California or Phoenix, Scottsdale or other beach type of uh, destinations. So those markets, those hotels have done extraordinarily well year to date. Um, and it's not just year-to-date outperformance. It's just been uh, exaggerated recently. Um, but the, the select service versus full service debate is interesting because I think the lines between full and select service are getting blurred. H- historically, select service was always associated with secondary markets, tertiary markets, airport hotels, side of the highway hotels, and full service was your downtown CBD convention hotel. Mm-hmm not really the case anymore all the hotels or almost all the hotels that are being built are 20 30 story select service hotels in urban gateway markets so uh, we're seeing more supply for those uh, that type of hotel come online but that's because the math works for a developer you don't have to have the three restaurants the ballrooms all the meeting space the math just works and as costs continue to rise both on the labor uh, and material side, land costs land costs go up. The select service business model, from a development return perspective, just makes more sense. And on top of it, I think the customer today is more receptive to a courtyard in New York City. It, it took a while because everyone assumes courtyard residence in Hilton Garden Inn, secondary market, airport, hotel, lower quality, but that's not the case at all. So the, it, it, there's a paradigm shift that's going on from both a owner and developer perspective, but also how the consumers see and view the brands. And frankly, at the end of the day, 
new and shiny always beats old, dull, and stinky. And if you're building more newer select service hotels, chances are when you go online and look at the pictures or use your phone to compare prices, the the new Hyatt place, for example, is probably going to look and screen better than the old 25-year-old Marriott hotel that still has the yellows, browns, and reds in the room. Yeah. That, uh, you're very quotable there, better than old and stinky. I like that. Um, how are you mentioned construction costs going up and it's impacting a lot of uh, uh, the market, commercial real estate market around the country and around the world. Um, how is our rising construction costs impacting the hotel uh, world? And, you know, because you, uh, one of the things you have the, the PIP, right? When, when somebody changes ownership, uh, we're selling some hotels now, and just for one small hotel, it's a, I think the PIP's a million one hundred thousand dollars. What do you see there? Yeah, costs are going up, mm-hmm. and it's making underwriting, both from an acquisition perspective, right, if you have a PIP, or really the development side, much more expensive. And if you go on a list of development, hotels are always the most expensive, or almost always the most expensive real estate uh, class to build given all the FF&E build-out, and it's the highest risk and highest return. However, when costs go up, people adjust their discount rates in in their underwriting. So what we're seeing is a plateauing of uh, new starts, projects getting delayed, um, not necessarily getting scrapped, but the math doesn't work like it used to. It doesn't pencil the way it it used to 24 months ago because costs might be 10% higher. 180 days later from when you last did your pro forma. So I think the silver lining is that from an owner perspective, we're seeing national supply growth start to plateau around 2%. Um, And it's not only projects taking longer to open because there's always delays, always cost overruns. It's just the next project that the person is thinking about, that same developer they're thinking a little bit harder about it because the math doesn't pencil like it used to and the returns aren't as good. So it's, it's affecting everyone. And, and to your point on the renovation side, renovation costs continue to go up on a like-for-like basis. And as RevPAR growth has slowed, margins remain pressured. That just further eats into the cash flow and the profitability of a hotel, and that makes the underwriting that much more difficult too. So it's, it's impactful. It's slow moving. It's something that on the development side, we talk about today, but we really won't see the impact for two or three years. So you, you have to kind of look ahead a little bit. But it's certainly a silver lining from an from an owner's perspective that supply growth is, is starting to taper a little bit. Yeah. Well, Michael, uh, what do you see from the investor standpoint? How do investors look at the hotel sector today compared to some of the other sectors? It's a good question. From from the public market perspective. I think everyone is nervous that we're late cycle. That, that's what we hear from real estate dedicated investors, from hedge fund guys, from consumer generalist type of investors. It's not that the cycle is long in the tooth, but it, it's definitely later cycle. Rev park growth has slowed. Costs continue to rise. And in a capital intensive business, as I mentioned, bottom line profitability can be flat to negative for some of these portfolios that, uh, that are especially focused in urban markets. So, There's some caution there. Um, I think today we're on better footing and sentiment and expectations are probably more balanced, I think, than they have been basically right up to the election. Right after the election, everyone got excited about a growth reacceleration. Then we kind of plateaued. 
And then with tax reform, we went from the back burner to front burner in, in late August, and tax reform got done. Everyone got excited again about a reacceleration. We have yet to see that. So I think people are getting a little bit tired of that. And is the reacceleration really going to happen? And if it does, maybe we go from two or three percent to three or four percent. Is that is that enough to get uh, over that operating um, threshold and, and create some bottom line leverage? The answer is maybe. But I don't think investors are really willing to pay for that right now. The other thing to consider, too, is especially on the REIT side, there is this high-level view that interest rates are going to continue to rise. Now, we've seen the 10-year go from roughly 2% to 3%. Frankly, the, the big move has probably already been made. We're, we're not really going from 3 to 4 here in another 3 to 6 months like we saw on a backward-looking basis. But that's how people think. And any stock that has the name REIT in it, whether it's a hotel REIT or an industrial REIT or a healthcare REIT, right? The, the, the thought process is, is you sell utilities, you sell REITs, and you buy financials and other economically sensitive names because when rates go up, the thought process is that economic growth is accelerating. And we, we've seen that. The, the real estate index, all the subsectors have been relative underperformers for the last 12-plus months. Uh, even with hotels, thinking that growth is going to accelerate, there, there are you know, fits and starts there with outperformance. But but overall, you're kind of swimming upstream because the capital flows are coming out of the real estate space and they're moving into other sectors and people aren't really looking at fundamentals. It's all interest rate fears and, and fears of rising interest rates. And you sell REITs, you sell utilities, and you buy banks and other stocks. That, that That's the trade that's occurred the last 12 months. Yeah, that's interesting. Well, Michael, what do you see for trends related to property level values. Yeah, that's so we talked about plateauing and slowing rev par growth and tough margins. What's interesting is property values continue to go up. Um, there is an abundant amount of debt and equity capital on the sidelines chasing deals. The REITs are looking for deals that are all well capitalized. There's just not a lot for sale because if you're a seller, why sell? I can refinance. I think the biggest thing supporting valuations, not just for hotels, but across all real estate property types, and I think is probably one of the biggest risks uh, uh, on the macro side, you know, that we don't have another repeat of late 15, early 16 when the, the credit market tighten up. It's, it's the white hot debt markets continue to support valuations. If you're a levered buyer, you can lever up four, four and a half percent cost of debt to 70, 75 percent LTV. And the math works because hotels are higher cap rate assets and you can clip double digit year one cash on cash returns. And that's still pretty attractive today. Now, there's a residual value risk there. What do you sell it for in a couple of years? Where's the cycle at? But uh, I think I don't want to say people are ignoring that, but they're more focused on the initial returns than they are on the back end. And that has supported real estate values broadly. Secondary markets, tertiary markets, select service hotels, low rev par hotels, high end hotels, resorts. It's kind of across the board and it's amazing that fundamentals have plateaued, but it's it's really the debt market that continues to support valuations and frankly gonna have them continue to inch higher. Yeah. Well, that's good news, I guess, uh, if you're an owner. Uh, or investor in, uh, in the hotel industry. So, Michael, great information. Thanks for joining us today. You bet. Thanks for having me, Michael. 
And that's uh, Michael Balisario, and he's Senior Research Analyst and VP with Baird. And if you like their website, it's rwbaird.com. Well, stay with us. We're going to have, have more on the hotel industry around the U.S. Stay with us. I'm Michael Bull. This is America's Commercial Real Estate Show. Would you like access to invest in institutional quality commercial real estate with experienced sponsors with small amounts of money? Of course you would. Visit realcrowd.com. Choose between core, core plus, value add, or opportunistic. Visit realcrowd.com. Check out Valuate, a real estate analysis program that can be easily shared with colleagues online to do what-if analysis. Visit GetValuate.com. That's GetValuate.com. Are you a commercial real estate broker? Check out Apto, the leading web-based CRE software for managing contacts, properties, listings, and deals. Act on the information in your CRM to strengthen your relationships and grow your business. Visit Apto.com slash CRE show. Would you like to be the top producing commercial broker in your office? Check out Michael Bull's video training. Since you're a show listener, you receive 10% off your first purchase. At checkout, use discount code CREshow. Visit commercialagentsuccess.com. Invest alongside real estate experts, sponsors who have a successful track record and skin in the game. It's as easy as one, two, three. Learn about the deals, make your investment, and grow your financial wealth. Visit arborcrowd.com. Are you looking to buy, sell, or lease commercial real estate? You're invited to contact Bull Realty for customized asset and occupancy solutions. Call 404-876-1640 or visit bullrealty.com. Promote your business to the U.S. commercial real estate industry. Click advertise at the show website, CREshow.com. Welcome back to America's Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Bull. Thanks for being with us. This segment is brought to you by Arbor Crowd, institutional quality crowdfunding. Check them out at arborcrowd.com. Today we're talking about hospitality, about the hotel industry, and we'll have a special guest for you next. It's Tom French, and Tom is president of the Hospitality Group with Bull Realty. He's headquartered in Atlanta. Tom, thanks for being with us. Always a pleasure. Well, you know, it's interesting to hear uh, the consultants, the advisors, the economists and analysts, but it's also interesting to see it from the desk of people actually in the business, right? And, and Tom, you're helping people buy and sell hotels uh, all over the country and a lot in the southeast. So uh, if someone is looking to buy or sell hotels right now, especially if they're looking to sell, where are we in the hotel cycle? It seems like this economic cycle has been great uh, and the hotels have done well as a lot of real estate, but some people are getting concerned uh, the cycle's a little long in the tooth. What about in hotels? What are the buyers and sellers saying uh, that you talk to every day about that? Well, I think everybody is concerned similar to the rest of the real estate market. It is long and they're looking at it and they're going, is this bubble really gonna burst? Uh, we're looking where occupancy rates are continuing to chug along. Um, they're, they're steady. Uh, they continue to go up a, a little bit here and a little bit there. Uh, most of all that everybody's surprised about is, is that the ADR, um, everybody's rate continues to go up at two or three percent a year. Uh, surprisingly enough, RevPAR continues to um, outpace 
the average daily rate, whether you're in the full service sector or if you're in the limited service sector. So for if you're an owner, that is that's really good. <clears throat> so that's what people are looking for. And if you're an investor looking to come into um, the hospitality sector, that's what you want to look for. So if you're looking for uh, or thinking about uh, disposing of your property, now's the time to do that um, because the market is steady um, and looks like it will be through 2018. Um, that's what all the market and the projections are looking towards for this year. Yeah, and I guess if you want to sell in 2018, you, you better be starting now uh, to, to really get it done and closed uh, by the end of the year. So what about financing? You know, it seems like uh, the lenders can really impact the cycle and, and property values. So what are you seeing for financing for hotels uh, today uh, as far as underwriting and rates? Uh, lenders like hotels? Interesting question. You know, for years, if you wanted to go to to go to the bank and, and, and get financing, uh, it was like you had a big black mark on your forehead because nobody wanted to finance a hotel. It was the forbidden piece that you didn't didn't handle. Um, today, uh, there are banks that are out there that are welcoming it back into the diversity of their portfolio. Uh, we do know that there are lenders such as J.P. Morgan and Morgan Stanley who have large tranches of cash. Um, and that are looking for diversity across that portfolio that are willing and, and looking and, and welcoming um, hospitality investments into that. Um, the SBA, um, if you have uh, a CMBS um, property that's ready to roll out of that program um, and you're an individual owner, um, um, the SBA program is the best um, uh, outlet for you from, from that standpoint. So if you're from that one, if you are, if you're just a middle-sized uh, investor that is out here and you've got multiple properties, conventional financing has turned out um, to be the best. There are a lot of lenders that are in here. There are regional lenders that are looking to, um, to, to finance and bring your property in, into the fold. So financing is, is much easier than it was 18 to 24 months ago. Okay. Well, we're talking with Tom Francis, <clears throat> a hotel uh, broker with the hospitality group at Bull Realty. So Tom, let's say that someone is in another sector um, and they're looking to diversify a little bit. Is there a such thing to buy into a property, a hotel, uh, but have a little cookie cutter kind of a situation or a, uh, I guess a coupon clipper? Uh, I think the interesting thing is, is, is that, you know, we've got two types of ownership when it comes to a property. You've got that type of owner who likes to go out and, and, and buy the property, who likes the value add, who, who likes the, the ground up type of construction. And then you've got the person who likes the, the coupon clipping. And we're finding more and more investors today that are rolling out of properties that just want are looking for that steady seven, eight, nine, ten percent return. And they just want to say, would you send me the check every month or every single quarter? They are not operators. All they want is will you just send it to but them. But hotels are kind of like businesses, right? Does that exist in a hotel investment? Absolutely it does. And okay. what we've got is we have sellers that are more than willing to sit down and say, okay, we know that in most cases that if you have a franchise property, there's always a change of ownership PIP. Um, and there's op and, and you need an operator and a lot of the owners are willing to stay in as the operator and in most cases they work very well with with the franchise um, rep and they will do your pip for you um, on the change of ownership pip and they will 
either stay in and operate that property for you or they will help you find an operator for the property and they will be more than happy to send you your investment check or your return every single month or every single quarter. So do you have one now that an investor could buy? Absolutely. Yeah. We have uh, we have two of those that are on there right now. We have owners that are willing to sit down and do it. We we have a couple of properties that are, you know, we have one in, in just under $6 million, and we have one that, that's in the mid-sevens where the owner will sit here and, and work with you through the PIP and will continue to operate it. They, they, are, they are really um, willing to do that, and they're, they're relatively good operators. Okay. Well, good. And, and as Michael Salloway said, that does also sells hotels with your group. These are not roach motels on the side of the road, right? These are nice properties. These are very nice properties. Okay. These are the, these are you know IHG properties. They're flagged, um, and the owner has done a great job maintaining them. Um, and, and the change of ownership pips are, are not huge. Um, so, and, and the other things is they, they know that they've got a good reputation and they can help you negotiate um, the, the change of ownership pips. So. It's, it's great. Yeah, and you mentioned uh, the change of ownership, PIP. Tell the audience what PIP stands for, and if you will, give them some tips related if you are a seller and you're going to be selling your property, what should you think about related to the PIP? Um, a PIP is property improvement plan, and every franchise um, has, when you, when you change ownership every franchise comes in and says um, when I go from one owner to the other owner this is their one single time that they can come back and say I need all of these things done improved this, improved this is their wish list okay mm -hmm. they're gonna then they they go from top to bottom stem to stern and they're saying this is everything that we want done and you you can sit down and you can no, negotiate some of the things out um, but this is their one shot and they work through it and and sometimes they can be absolutely staggering when you look at it and if you're a new owner you come in here and it'll take your breath away and even if you're the seller it will take your breath away so what you have to do is some of the sellers that are in here if you're selling the property we suggest that you talk to your franchise rep before you take it to market so you have a really good understanding of what that buyer is going to face when you sell the property because it's going to affect you know whether I'm doing a, a, a multiple of my rooms revenue or whether I'm doing a cap rate it's going to affect both of those and it's going to affect my purchase price and you want to know where I'm going to be in that marketplace because you don't want to be surprised and you certainly don't need the buyer surprised yeah yeah that makes a lot of sense <laughs> so what would you leave our audience with Tom uh, related to uh, the hotel industry, especially some of our audience that uh, maybe they're not in the hotel industry. You know, one of the things that, that jumps out to me is it seems like it's, it's a lot more of a business than the typical real estate sectors that we invest in. It's still real estate mm -hmm. and it is a business mm -hmm. um, and they are, they, they are married together without a doubt. Um, one of the things that's still out there is, is you know, it is just like any other business today. There's tons of technologies in there, but I need everybody to understand that it is still an operating business and it's service oriented. And if the, the, the difference being is, if, if you're not savvy at service and you can't deliver the service, that all affects the bottom line. One of the nice things that we do is, is we've got a lot of experience <clears throat> doing hotels, um, 
and having the ability to go in and look at them and say, this is a good property, this is a bad property, here are some of the improvements that can be made um, so that we can get the buyer into the property and say, here's your returns and here's what you can expect or not expect so that we can match the buyer with the property and the returns that they are expecting. Yeah, I mean, that's important. I think uh, as a seller, you want a broker who can come in and say, hey, to a buyer, hey, maybe if you do this and this and this and this, you can improve values uh, and it helps sell a property and obviously it helps a buyer get a good return, right? Absolutely. Yeah, and and it's interesting because it seems like because it's such a service business, I mean, I was in a, stayed in a hotel recently uh, where I'm selling a, a large property in another state and, and I stayed at this hotel and I won't go back. I mean, it was okay, but you know, the food could have been better at breakfast, it could have been a little cleaner in the lobbies. So, I mean, things like that, if those problems hadn't have been there, I'm going back to that city, I would stay there again. So it does seem like there's a lot of opportunity. There is, and I think one of the things that people walk into today is, is it's not when it's it's not the lobby that you walk into and you know for you you say a little bit about the food i still think that the thing that sets the pace is if i walk into the bathroom mm-hmm. if the bathroom isn't clean i'm not staying yeah yeah well your bathroom i like good bacon you know i want really good <laughs> bacon in the morning that's because you're from the south that's it you know <laughs> there you go well tom thanks for joining us good information you're welcome and thank you for joining us there around the country, wherever you're watching or listening, iTunes, one of the podcast sites or our YouTube. Uh, be sure and visit our site, commercialrealestateshow.com, and comment and share and let us know what you think. Until next week, be sure that you always lead, learn, and laugh, and join us for America's Commercial Real Estate Show. America's Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you by Bull Realty. Asset and Occupancy Solutions, Arbor Crowd, invest alongside experts, Get Valuate, online investment analysis, Real Crowd, crowdfunding with professionals, Apto, the ultimate brokerage software, The News Funnel, real estate news personalized, commercialagentsuccess.com, video training from Michael Bull. To access these great companies or for more videos, podcasts, and articles, visit CREshow.com.